Hello and welcome everyone to the Fall In Podcast, and we have a special episode here for you today. I do believe we have a certain Daryl Parmer. Is that correct, Daryl? Yeah, Daryl Parmer. Yeah, definitely the the, the most interesting uh, way to say that uh, I've ever heard. I've never heard that last name. I've heard Palmer before. You know, what's the origins of that name? I'm sorry to get right into it, but uh. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's it's kind it's it's common in my family. Um, they uh they I guess you know it's um I looked it up. I would hope so. uh, It's common in your family. (laughs) I looked it up. It's it's um it's a spinoff of uh, Palmer, um and uh, a Palmer used to be an individual who went out and collected palms for uh, roofs. And uh, so it's a spinoff of that, but yeah, it's 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 common in my family. I would hope so. I mean, in your family, I mean. <laughs> yeah. But uh, man, it's great to meet you for sure. I mean, uh, welcome to you know fall in. We're, we're going to be getting around the campfire here and maybe telling us some stories here and, and maybe talking about your service a little bit. I know uh, you you were in the army. Is that correct? Uh, yes, sir. Well, t- tell us a little bit about that. You know, when did you join? You know, what what was uh, boot camp like? Uh, you know, what were the circumstances to why you joined, kind of too? Yeah, well, I I, uh, it, it probably had something to do with the police. If I got it. <laughs> oh no, I'll definitely interjecting with some relevant information. Can't wait to get into this. <laughs> I, w- I was smart enough to never get caught. I was. I would just say that. Um, and I'm never. I'm definitely not a saint, but uh, I'm from. I'm from Panama City, Florida. Born and raised down there in Panama City, and. Um, after after high school, I went to uh, college for uh, a couple of years, um, but uh, you know I, I realized college wasn't really for me. So um, I was studying originally studying civil engineering, and um, and I realized that uh, shortly after I got started, I, w- I didn't have the aptitude for the math. So rather than uh, drop out, I started uh, change my major unofficially um, from uh, civil engineering to billiards, and uh, I shot pool at a damn student center all the time. Uh, and, uh, after two years of a straight full-time student, I only had 27 credit hours and, uh, I was leaving, uh, school one day. Yeah, I was overachieving. Um, but, uh, I left, I left class or I left the student center one day to go to work. And, um, on the way I, uh, I, I had never, ever thought about going in, a, in the military. My daddy was a world war two veteran from, uh, he was a CD in world war two over in the Philippines. My brother was a Vietnam vet. And I was a baby to family, um, and uh, so here it is, 1988. I'm driving by uh, the uh, the the recruiting do- recruiter's office, and never had thought about it before. And I literally, I slammed on the brakes and pulled in, and said, "Walked in," and I grabbed a brochure off the desk, sitting right there at the at the entrance, and it was the old brochure with a guy in a, uh, a, a soft cap, and uh, it had uh, he was walking through the through the through the swamp with an M16 in his hand, and it said Ranger on top. And the guy from behind me in the uniform said, can we help you? I turned around and showed him that uh, pamphlet, and I said, yeah, I want to do that on a whim. I just joined the Army on a whim. Uh, so I went home told my daddy, and uh, that was uh, June of 1988. And uh, I said, um, Daddy, I, I, I love you to death, but I'm, I'm tired of living out of your back pocket. I want to go do something else my own. And there it was on June 16th, 1988, I joined the Army and went to basic training. So it was a, it was a, uh, you know, no plan whatsoever just to, to do it at all. I just went and did it. <clears throat> that's just, it, that's very crazy that you just all of a sudden on a whim decided to walk into the recruiter's office. Not ever thinking about it. Cause I mean, there's a lot of guys, you know, I went to high school with that were like, Oh, I'm going to join the Marines. Like the whole time they were in high school, they were talking about how they were going to join the military, but you didn't even have an inkling that you would do that. And you just all of a sudden, you know, what, yeah. what was the thought? I mean, do you remember the exact thought, like why you went in that office? Well, you know, like I said, I, you know, I, I was living at home. Uh, daddy was, you know, paying for everything. All I had to do was go to school. That's all I needed to do was go to school. I had a job to give me some pocket pocket change and pay for my car that I, you know, my daddy bought years before. Um, and uh, so, but you know, it was one of those things where knowing that they had been in the military, um, you know, like I said, Daddy was in World War II, and Bubba was in. Uh, my brother was in um, Vietnam, but I knew that I knew what they had done, but I'd never actually thought about me doing it. And then it was one of those things where I just I knew I had to go do something on my own, and I had to do it that way, or it wasn't going to happen. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. I got you. Well, I mean. How was the difference, though? Because, I mean, like you said, you were just living at home, kind of going to school was your responsibility, and then going into basic training. I mean, that had to be – 
I've asked this question a lot, you know, to Big Al and, uh, you know, also other guests we've had. You know, what was the, the culture shock kind of going into that? Well, you know, being that, um, you know, my dad was in the military and, and, and my brother as well. So to me, it wasn't much of a culture shock as far as doing what you're told. I was raised to when they say do it, you do it. Um, you know, I had my little moments where I, I, I bowed up, uh, you know, and, and, you know, daddy had to straighten me out a couple of times, but, um, basically it was one of those where I knew when they said to jump, ask how high, if they said shit, I asked what color I understood that. Um, so that, that you can right control there, that? you can control that. Wait a second. We got to go back to that. You can control that color. <laughs> That's what you tell them. It's all about the input. <laughs> <laughs> So, but no, it was, it wasn't that much of a culture shock. What the hard part was for me, um, was, you know, I was always physical and everything, but I was, I was a hundred, I made weight. I made the minimum weight by like two pounds. I was 152 pounds when I went in the army from my height, I was barely able to go. And I didn't, I wasn't the strongest guy in the world, but, um, to me it was the physical part, but you know, that I kind of fell in on that, uh, fairly easily. Um, other than that, everything just kind of went, you just, all you gotta do is get up when they tell you to get up, stand in formation when they tell you to stand in formation and, you know, um, just do what the hell you're told. And that's about it. So for me, it wasn't that big of an issue. Um, the hard part for me, um, was later on, uh, after I got to my first unit, um, realizing that, you know, now I'm, I'm stuck with these guys every single day, all day long. I'd had a job before that working at Pepsi. Um, where I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm working with the same guys, but we're all out across town doing our own thing. And we only come back to work, you know, back, we only see each other when we're there the first thing in the morning. And then when we go home in the evening, other than that, I, we were out doing our own thing. So, uh, but now I'm in a job where I've got to sit in the same exact shop, uh, doing the same exact thing with the same guys every day for, you know, two years at a time here when, you know, in between duty station changes, um, so to me, it was, you know, getting used to working with the same people every day, day in and day out. <clears throat> so that was difficult. Like in what way was it just like maybe button heads with other guys that you just didn't really know very well? Yeah. I, you know, I'm, uh, I'm an out, I'll, I'll can confirm it. I'm, I'm kind of a hard head. So, uh, you know, if, if there's something that's, that kind of needs to be said, I'll pick and choose the right time to say it. But when it's gotta be said, you know, you're, you're definitely going to just step up and say what's gotta be said. And then that, that, you know, you run it across. You run across the, you know, a bunch of other people out there that are feeling the same exact way. So, you know, it's one of those things where you just got to feel everything out and find out how you're going to fit in. Um, I figured it out, and uh, and I realized after about my first year um, that uh, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to stay in the army. <clears throat> it just wasn't for me. Oh, so it got to the point where you were getting ready to actually leave. Well, no, I still had time left. When I signed up, it was five year of commitment. <clears throat> So here I am in Germany in 19, <clears throat> 1988. I got there November 98, 88. And, um, and I, you know, within a year, I realized I'm not, I'm not, I'm not staying in the army. I'm going to get out when I got, when my time's up, I'm getting out. Um, and, and I had that idea that that's exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to go back to work. I'm going to go back home. I'm going to get me a job with Pepsi and I'm going to work on a truck, uh, you know, driving around fixing Pepsi machines around Panama city for the rest of my life. As far as I'm concerned, I just didn't want to stay in the army. It wasn't for me. Now, now I'm assuming that something changed. Now, what, what uh, exactly happened that made you decide to, you know, I'm going to stick with it? Yeah, I, I can tell you the God's honest truth, because um, I've said this before time and time again. The changing, that moment that changed me was I left Germany in a, after we went to Desert Storm, came back, and, um, and I went to, to Fort Drum, New York from Germany. I'm the glory. Yeah, here you go. And I went to Fort Drum, New York, uh, 1991, in June of 91, and I met this guy named uh, 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 PFC Nixon. <clears throat> and um, that's where I met the old Al the very first time. Yeah, if anybody doesn't realize he's talking about Big Al here, <laughs> Alfonso <Yeah>. Nixon. <clears throat> yep. So that tells you how long Daryl and I have known each other. For, yeah, just for a couple of days, right, Al? Absolutely. Absolutely, brother. But, um, no, I got there, and um, and I, I had a uh, – uh, our, our platoon sergeant was Sergeant First Class Paris de Leon. Paris de Leon. Uh, but I got there. Like and this de guy, Leon, huh? Yeah, but I got there and this guy was my previous platoon sergeant. Just, you know, I, I really didn't I didn't see the way that the Army was supposed to work. And, and they really kind of 
did things different when I got there to Fort Drum. Uh, Sergeant First Class Patrice De Leon was my uh, uh, platoon sergeant, and, and the way that he the way he did things was just I liked it a lot. And I said, and he put me in charge because I was the highest ranking hydraulics guy. I was a, a new hydraulics repairman. It's hydraulics is what most people would call it. But it's a, uh, I was a, a senior, I was a um, promotable hydraulics guy when I got there. So nobody, there was no NCOs in the shop. So he made me and put me in charge of the shop and actually let me run the shop. And he treated me like a, like a, like an NCO because that's over, basically the position I was filling. Over Hastings. <laughs> that's a fact. Mike Hastings. <clears throat> yep. Show was so, uh, and Mike was st- was senior to me, but he wasn't promotable. Um, Hastings was senior to me, but he wasn't promotable. So, uh, you know, Sergeant uh, Sergeant Paris de Leon said, "Palmer, you're in charge," and and he treated me like an NCO, and uh, and I just started learning everything um, that I needed to to be able to run the shop. That's all I focused on, and I started to enjoy it. And my time came up for reenlistment, uh, and Hastings had just reenlisted for a bonus. Uh, Al had already left. This is a uh, almost two years later, Al had already gone to Germany. Did you go to Germany, right, Al? Roger that. Yep. Yeah. So uh, uh, this is a, a couple years later. Now uh, Hastings had just reenlisted for a bonus, and he got it was a three alpha bonus. No, he got a four alpha bonus. Um, and then my yes. turn popped up the next month. My my window opened, and um and but mine had changed to a three alpha bonus. Well, what that the way the three alpha works is, it's your base pay times that that uh that multiplier so it was my base pay times three um and then you pay the taxes on top of that but to me i was a single guy never been married no kids yet and um and i you know no kids to this day but back then i didn't have any kids i was a single guy ten thousand dollars was my uh my take-home pay i said you know what i'm enjoying the army a lot more now let me sign my name my my name raise my right hand and said i do solemnly swear to support the constitution of the united states now, let me butt in on that. You know, I'd never, ever received a bonus. Nope. That was never. my only one. I got lucky, man. You probably <laughs> never deserved one, though, Top. Oh, no. <laughs> Look up. Many of them. From the shadows. Yeah, from the shadows. I do believe we have uh, Chad joining us. How you doing, Chad? Oh, Chad. What's up, Bubba? Hey, Sergeant Major. How you doing? I'm doing good, boss. What you up to, Bubba? Hanging out, listening to you guys. Oh, by gosh, and by gosh. But yeah, that was uh, that was it. There, and um, and I reenlisted there, but I reenlisted to go to Fort Bragg. I wanted to go to airborne school and uh, jump out of planes. So uh, that was uh, being from pa- being from Panama City, Florida, um, and then they sent my butt to Fort Drum, New York. Um, mind you, by, at this time I'm about 155 pounds, and um. And I'm not a I'm not a a, a cold natured person, um, so if I have to wear sleeves, I'm not happy. You uh, born in Florida? I mean, I mean, it's Florida. I mean, you don't go to New York and feel like, man, this is comfortable. Like, <laughs> so they sent my butt there, and I was like, I didn't. I went to skiing and did all the stuff you're supposed to do up there, and and uh, and I had a good time. You know, it was it was pretty good. Um, met a, good, a lot of good people. Uh, you know, uh, Al's only there for a few months. I got there in June. Al, when did you leave? I left there in December uh, because okay. I had a bre- I had a breach of contract, which got me out of there, you know, faster. Because most people who go to Drum, they're kind of stuck there. But the Army violated <laughs> my contract, so they had to get me out of there quick. Okay, gotcha. I forgot about that. But so I'd only seen Al, you know, known Al for just a few months. Really didn't just kind of didn't really know him. We were just in the same platoon together. Um, I'll tell you this story about Al. The way I met Al, we were in a SPAMs. The other guys know what a SPAM is. Brian, a SPAM is a shelter portable air mobile. Imagine the the, the, the Connex is the the semi-trailers you see rolling down the road, those 40-foot semi-trailers. All right, cut that sucker in half and make it 20-foot foot long. It's 19 foot 6 inches to be exact. But um, uh, make it 20-footer, and then uh, one side of it, it opens up and expands out on one side to double the width of it. <clears throat> so that, and that's our shop. Each, in each one of the different shops um, has a spam. Uh, and that's when we open it up, we move our uh, equipment out and that becomes our workshop. So uh, I'm, I walk up in the spam up there cause that's what we worked out of in the snow. 
because we didn't have an actual hanger shop that we were it's working It's like a NASCAR with. hauler in a way, though, because the way y'all kind of take the tools around, it's a mobile unit for tools, right? Kind of like a mobile yeah, workshop. But it's, it's nothing that nice, yeah. You know <laughs> what I mean, though. It's like you walk up in it, you grab you know grab the tools out, you know. Well, it's a, it, you actually work in there. There's benches and chairs and then desks and stuff like that. You, well, it depends on how, how that NCO sets it up. But um, I walk up in the spam, and they're taking me around to meet all the different shop, uh, all the different people in different shops. Tell me who works where, and then I walk into the spam, and there's this this young black guy sitting up on the on the on the stool there, and I mean he's, he's young, but he's still a giant. Um, Al's like, what are you six four, six five? Six four. Six four. So here he is, you know, 19, 18, 19 years old, and uh, this guy, hey, this is Nixon. Hey, buddy, how you doing? My name's uh, Palmer, and that right there is how me and Al met. But this, this when he stood up, was when it when it when it really when it really dawned on you how big this man is. <laughs> and, and Jack can tell you. Big Alan personality, too. <laughs> exactly. Al ain't petite. <laughs> no, no, in no way he's petite, when it, even with his personality. I tell you what, this guy's got personality dripping off of him. He's got enough for about the whole state of Alabama right now. I guarantee that. <laughs> yeah, you stick around. You're, you're talking to, to my other brother, Daryl, right now. Yeah. And uh, he, yeah, Al's going to be reserved, but uh, if if this podcast goes on long enough and we get a few drinks in this, you'll see the the real Al. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've met him. <laughs> oh, good. Where'd y'all meet at? <laughs> well, we didn't really, really meet meet. I'm just saying that, like, you know, I've been in Discord hanging out with him, and uh, you know, he's been having quite a few drinks in him. There. No, me and him, and uh, well, I bet y'all have actually went out, out, like, you know. Oh uh, yeah, we've we've been quite a few. Quite a few play. Well, going out and partying? No. Yeah, that's what, no, that's what I kind of meant, like out to the bar or something and drinking some beers. See, the difference is that we don't get to partake like that because we have to stay sober and ready so we can oh, go yeah. all of the dumbasses. So you make it up for lost time now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buddy. <clears throat> yeah, but definitely uh, – very interesting you know your story you, you kind of talked about what your responsibilities were um you know did you ever you know go out i know you said desert storm you know that's kind of a trigger word for you know combat and kind of things like that did you ever have to to you know get into combat and have to deal with scenarios that were a little bit out of your comfort zone well being aviation i, I i've i'll uh I'll, I'll tell it to you like this being aviation i, I don't I, we don't kick indoors and shoot people in the face let's just put it that way Right, so we're responsible as aviation maintainers. We're responsible to maintain the aircraft and ensure that it can be mission ready whenever they need it. Um, so I'm on the flight line um, uh, or in the shop or wherever, uh, turning wrenches and keeping aircraft flying. And then once you become that uh, that supervisor, you're responsible for maintaining the make sure that the guys under you are maintaining those aircraft. Now, are we kicking indoors and shooting people in the face? No, um, that's not what we do. Uh, we have a totally different mission. Uh, every bit of it, uh, everything that uh, every MOS out there does, from a mechanic in the motor pool to a mechanic on the flight line, to your uh, your human resources guys in the S1, uh, those guys in the S2 that are pulling the intel, uh, uh, all the way down to the cook um, that are uh, that's cooking the meals for us to make sure we can actually you know to do our job. Uh, everybody's doing their part. Uh, are we are we doing that hard? Uh, that hard thing of, uh, of of actually engaging in uh, direct combat with people, uh, typically no. If the time ever comes, everybody's got that training to be able to do it. But uh, the, our biggest thing that we have to deal with uh, when we're out there on the flight line or in the in the in a deployed environment for an aviation guy, uh, we're typically um, uh, basically dealing with uh, indirect fire, which is people shooting mortars and stuff at us and rockets. Uh, that's the thing that we typically have to uh, to deal with. Now that is that that doesn't say that that doesn't mean that the guys that actually go out on the aircraft and fly with them, uh, with those crew chiefs out there on the Blackhawks and the Chinooks, doesn't mean that they're not doing something out there. If it has to be, if it has to be done, uh, by all means, they have all the uh, all the weaponry that we need uh, and the training to uh, engage if they need to. And it does happen quite a bit. But myself, no, I, I've never been in uh, uh, direct combat um, with uh, with anybody on the ground. But you said something about like you know artillery being you know kind of a, a a problem when you're like you know doing your job and stuff like that. I mean, has there ever been any like close calls of you know maybe something hitting close to you know kind of where you were, but you know kind of affecting you? 
Well, yes, um, nearby quite a bit, um, quite a few times. Uh, we were at a, I mean, Al were at a, in Mosul uh, during OIF, the first OIF. Um, you know, they kept shooting grenade or rockets and stuff at us over there. Uh, had a couple mortars land up there and inside of our work area and everything. Uh, over right in front of the uh, uh, the talk uh, or the CP there, uh, if I remember correctly, wasn't it out? Yep. Also, you should tell them about, you know, a lot of things happened back there, too, uh, Daryl. I, I would love for you to talk about the recovery. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, 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 what I was talking about was there was a, if you go back and look at, look it up, I believe it was, uh, was it November of uh, 2003? Uh, yes, sir. I believe, yeah, I believe it was November 2003. And um, there was two Blackhawks that, uh, they collided over Mosul. Um, one of them was on a, a QRF mission. QRF is Quick Reaction Force. Um, they had a team of, uh, of, uh, of some infantry guys out there. They were taking, moving from point A to point B, and I uh, guess. And then there was a, a uh, an R&R flight. Unfortunately, they were coming back from an R&R, and um, they collided over Mosul and uh, 17 casualties. Oh uh, wow. Yeah, that's uh largest largest. I believe I'm pretty sure that was the largest casualty, uh, one day casualty event uh, during OIF. Um, I'm not don't quote me, but <clears throat> but uh, yeah, we had to recover the uh, uh, the aircraft and uh, and and you know some of the some of the uh, there was a uh, I had the um, the aircraft that was on top of, on top of the uh, two story building. Uh, I was over there recovering that one. And, um, but then the, uh, the other aircraft that was suspended, it was stuck on top of the, was it three or four story building? They weren't able to recover all the, the guys off of that. So, you know, they went in there and had to recover those guys. Um, but yeah, we've, uh, we've, you know, sometimes you, you that's part of the mission. You, you, you have to go do what you got to do to, to, to basically clear the battlefield, get your guys off the battlefield. And then, and then um, we're about, you know, uh, yourself later, basically. Now, you said that, so these two helicopters collided with one another. Was that just like a, a flight plan error? Uh, not really sure. I've read the reports and the different um, news articles. Uh, <clears throat> not really, not a guarantee on on uh, what happened there. There's a couple of reports saying that um, that they saw a, uh, I believe it said a, a smoke trail come up from the ground and hit one of the aircraft, maybe. Um, but uh, not certain. All I know is that you know they collide. They basically they crashed over Mosul there, and then we had 17 uh, casualties. Man, that's <laughs> sad, definitely to to have something like that happen. Especially like you said, some of the guys coming, uh, you know, are were they coming from R and R or going to to R and R? You know. Yeah, pretty sure one of the aircraft, I believe, was was coming from uh, was had a a, crew, a, um, a load of packs. Yeah, they were headed too. They were going to the hook. So they were going to go rest and you know kind of get you know maybe a little bit. It was it was in country uh, in R and R at the hook, and that's where that aircraft was headed. So those guys were literally going to probably rest and kind of relax a little bit in a little bit of a safer environment. And unfortunately, you know that happened. Yep, absolutely terrible, terrible accident uh, or incident. Um, And uh, a lot of people, a lot of people were affected by it. You know, I, 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 uh, we had our, uh, and Al was, and I was there. We we were on that mission together. but uh, you know, we had our our uh, our moment afterwards. The commander did the right thing, and I I do. I, I um, uh, Major John L. Smith. Uh, he was actually a really good commander. I was I was glad to that he he had everybody come in and sit down that was on the mission, and with the chaplain, and we talked through it, um, just to kind of you know just see how we were feeling, just make sure everybody uh, there was no. Make sure nobody was having any issues, and I'm glad he did it. I had my uh, I had my moment there. That was the first time Al ever saw a tear fall out of my eye, uh, and and, um, and I, I I said my piece, and and then you know after it was over with, where I was good to go. I, I did. I, I I basically I uh, man. Did you um, know any of those guys? No, I didn't know any of the guys personally. Um, the aircraft was was it was it four one on one aircraft, Al? Roger. Yeah, yeah it was fourth battalion and the ninth battalion aircraft. Oh, okay, fourth and ninth. Yeah, so yeah, I didn't know any of them personally, um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's it's definitely something to, to not a memory you want to have, you know, about um, you know having to go recovery. 
do yeah, recovery. for sure. And, and think about this, too. I mean, I bet that what made it so difficult, too, was that you could have easily been on that helicopter. I mean, those, you know, you, you probably, you guys had to go and, and you know, on, on our R&R &R and probably, you know, take flights to, you know, to a certain area. Yeah, we, we were moving around the battlefield as well um, every now and then, you know, because I went up to, uh, 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 was it Kaysu? What was that? What was the place where, that gummit? Where was where was battalion at? What was it that started with the Q? It was where they had the sulfur fire at? Oh, QRS, QS, QRS. Yeah, we went back and forth to QS quite a few times, um, just to do you know different things with battalion and brigade up there. Um, but yeah, I mean you're moving around the battlefield. There's no telling what aircraft you're going to be on. So uh, we've changed. We have changed our our um, uh, our tactics now. Our uh, well, you know, talking about. Talk about that time, though, Daryl. I actually started in Kuwait, drove all the way up to Mosul, and then we drove all the way back to Kuwait from Mosul. So, I mean, we literally covered about yeah. as much of Iraq as anybody you could think of. Well, yeah, we did it uh, <clears throat> all the way up there. Convoy was at, uh, uh, took us, I think it was three days to get there. Um, but then we had to, I had to go back. I don't know if you remember, I had to go back. Um, Commander said, uh, uh, "Hey, I need you to get a, um, a load of supplies back down to uh, uh, back down to Kuwait." So they said, uh, "Can you do it in 24 hours?" I said, "Well, yeah, we can do it. You know, just need to make sure we get the right right trucks and the right people." And uh, we did that. We did that trip all the way from Mosul, being a uh, uh, Captain Stallings. We did that trip all the way from Mosul all the way back down to Christopher Kuwait. Stallings. Christopher Stallings. Christopher M. Stallings. And um, he's retired now, full bird colonel. <clears throat> but uh, he, uh, me and him did that convoy back down there to Kuwait in 24 hours. And uh, the commander didn't think we could do it. I said, yeah, we can do it. And um, I, I hear you. I, I, I hadn't, uh, I've only told this to a couple people. So we made the, uh, I, I, I had bought a GPS before we deployed, and I learned how to use my handheld GPS and um, little Magellan. And I, and I did the same. <laughs> And uh, I had I plugged a route. I told Captain Stallings, I said, "Hey, give me a give me a map, um, and I'll I'll plug a route for us." Um, they they gave us a couple of few uh, things from S two on uh, approved routes, and I had those those coordinates, um, and I had to plug in you know a couple of extra things uh, on my GPS. I plugged everything in, and I rolled those maps up. Got a, my my route set up, and I rolled those maps up, set them on on my desk there in the shop, uh, in my spam. Got up the next morning and hauled butt, and we got about an hour down the road, and I went, oh, shit. Left my maps in the spam. I had nothing but my GPS to get us there, <clears throat> and that was it. Um, and uh, lo and behold, the next day, when we were, you know, that afternoon, we're rolling down the highway, and my GPS starts to malfunction. And I started stressing the like you well, I bet. Know. I mean, because you had like literally probably a commanding officer sitting with you, and you're like, I fucked up. You know? No, <laughs> it's 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 not like that though. It's more no. like the heaviness of having the entire party on your hand, and you're in Indian country. I mean, you got to exactly. think about this. Yeah, oh yeah, you're, I got you're you. In a place where, yeah, you're in a place where they don't like you. And you don't know where you're at. Like um, IEDs too probably were concerned. I know that was a you know a big you know you always see that in the news stories about that was the, the one of the major danger you know dangers yeah, over there. This was the early iterations of the IEDs. And they didn't have all the they didn't have all the advanced. They killed your deads. Yeah, exactly. But the, uh, the the big thing was we we stopped at a uh, at a rest stop there uh, to at a refuel point, and um my uh, I pulled my my batteries out. And swap my batteries, thinking, okay, I'll just I'll, I'll switch them out, and that'd be good. And they still didn't work. And then I realized, okay, wait a minute, go get a different pack of batteries. These bad. Once I switched those out for a third set of batteries, now everything started working like a damn charm. I got because it's so it's so hot over there, the batteries were going bad. And thank God we had I had another pack of batteries stashed in my bag. I pulled those out, and uh, we finished the whole entire route with my GPS. Uh, and then actually returned back, took the exact same route going back because I had the, I already had the, uh, uh, the had breadcrumbs. I, I had the breadcrumbs already plugged in on my GPS. So follow it back. It got us there one time. It made it, we made it back the second time, but, um, all right, here's one for you. 
uh, talking about, you know, you're in Indian territory. A gal said, we came back when well, we went through this little town. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's market day in this little town in Iraq. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, uh, it's market day. So we are literally bumper to bumper in our convoy. It's only seven trucks or bumper to bumper in our convoy. And it, there's 500 people in the middle of the road in a market. And they're, we're having to, you know, ease our way through this, uh, through this crowd of people. And I'll never forget. I had, do- we were doors off. We didn't have up armored Hummers again. Remember guys. But, um, so it's, you know, 120 degrees. I got doors off and, uh, I've got my nine, I'm driving and, uh, old Colburn, Josh Colburn, Joshua Colburn, Colburn. He's sitting over in the passenger seat with his M16. M- yeah. We had M16s. And, um, he's sitting over there with his M16 and I got my nine mil in my lap. I'm driving now. And uh, this guy with doors off, this Iraqi uh, civilian stands there, probably arm's distance away, and I stop right there next to him. And he's about arm's distance away, and he looks at me and looks down at my my pistol. And in as perfect English as you could imagine an Iraqi speaking, you don't need that here. Looked right at my gun, at my pistol, and said that. You don't need that really? here. Really? I swear to God, that's exactly what he said. Look right at me and said, well-educated Iraqi right there. <laughs> and I, he, he said that I looked right at him and I said, doesn't matter. Cause I don't know anybody here and nobody messed with us. And then all of a sudden, you know, with my truck, cause I was, we were the lead up there. And then all of a sudden Captain Stallings comes over the radio and said, and my, my call sign was Papa. <clears throat> and Captain Stallings comes over the radio and says, Papa, they're throwing rocks at us back here. Let's get out of here. And about that time is when a path opened up a little bit and we were able to get a little bit of speed and everybody kind of moved out of our way and we got out of that damn city. But I'll never, ever forget that guy looking at me in damn near perfect English and said, don't need that here when he's talking about my gun. So they, Man, that's crazy. they, a lot of places didn't mind us being there. They, they preferred, you know, what we could bring them as far as, you know, a change of life compared to what, you know, Saddam Hussein was giving them. Yeah, but people will never understand the, the correlation between Iraq and Afghanistan just for that same reason. It just. But you never know who you're dealing with. And that's the thing, too, man. People in the United States <clears throat> that don't have a clue about what's going on in the world, um, it, it's, it's sad to see how many are actually out there. And, and the way that America's thinking, um, it's just sad to see because they don't, they don't understand what's really happening out there in the world. You know, everybody's complaining about the, you know, uh, I don't want to get political, but, you know, with all the people, when everybody starts complaining about, you know, uh, I'm not going to say it. I'll just say that they don't have a clue what's going on in the world, because if, if you send them over to other places out there uh, and they think go over there with the same attitude they got today, uh, they're not going to make it. I can tell you that right now. <clears throat> I'm not going to get political. I'll just stop there. Well, you know, and, and I, I, I guess I hate to, to steal the thunder, but, you know, that's one thing that, that a lot of people don't understand either about, like, just operating in country. So you have the guys that are coming in, and they're going through the schools and the training, and then that training, they're telling them, don't trust them and, you know, handle everything this way. And you know, you've been there for a while, and you understand that, you know, you, you can't just kick the door in every day for a year, you know. You, because these people, you're going to communicate with them, and and they live here. This is their this is their home, you know. So after a while, you, you know, you you lose that testosterone where you just you know all of them are bad, and you start to understand that hey, yeah, some of them are good, and and it's real funny because the time that you're leaving and the guys that are replacing you are coming in, they're coming in the same way you were a year ago, and you know, but these people. Yeah, are are you know they're they're they have a rapport with you and you're trying to tell these guys hey look don't punch this dude in the face he's cool yeah. but ah, shut up we know what we're doing i mean and it's like okay cowboy carry on you know but that's that's the thing that that a lot of people don't even understand yeah that's definitely i don't think the right way to handle it i mean of course you you know you definitely want to be wary that someone's you know could be a hostile but i mean you're gonna build it like you said a rapport with some of these people and you know i've heard stories too i mean i don't know if you could, you could kind of interject on this but like of even sometimes you being saved by one of those locals like you know that maybe are a little bit uh you know weighing on your side versus the you know whoever the insurgents is you guys are fighting 
Yeah, well, you, you got to take everything they say with a grain of salt, but for for you always have to react on everything they tell you. You have to. You're always watching your own ass, but you have to react when they say that. Hey, listen, you know this guy over here is getting ready to make it, get, it, get ready to attack tomorrow. You have to react to that, <clears throat> but you never know. Is that guy just trying to to throw you off, or is he telling you the truth? So yeah, Al's right. There's good and bad guys over there, man. That's fact. <clears throat> well, the, what I was kind of referring to is like you know I don't know. This is a movie. Of course, they're going to be uh, you know kind of cinematic and you know make it really cinematic and stuff. Oh, hey, that hey. Home- we don't do movies. I mean, we, this is a I'm just saying it's supposed to be based on a real Hollywood. true story. Uh, I'm just saying, me as a curious party, you know, that's what that's what we're exposed to. That's what I'm, you know, kind of saying. You know what I mean? We're exposed to the what is in the movie, and you guys gotta gotta give the realistic part of it what it actually is. Yeah, absolutely. Maverick did not would not have been able to pull off anything that he did because he's just Maverick. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Hollywood character. But, the reality of it is, though, when we're out there, and people don't understand this, this is why I love our military, because we've got engineers, our officer corps, our enlisted corps. I mean, we go to places, and our whole motif is to make them better, you know, than we found them. So, like, even in Kiara West, for example, you know, they took the the pool that was there, because there was this big Olympic freaking swimming pool there in the village and they turned that into a source where they could actually convert water and so for the first time in these people's lives they actually had clean drinking water i mean so so i mean that's another thing that americans don't understand so when we're out there operating around the world and you know you look at us guys like we're aviation guys well i'll tell you you know i am an aviation guy but i've been about us up in the, the thick of it as anybody else has and uh just the two guys on the phone can, I mean, heck, me and Daryl went out and hogged out a couple of fellows, right, Daryl? Yep. yep. You know, so, yeah, we're, yeah, we're right up in the midst of it all the time, man. It, it is what it is. War is war. And, there, and there's no uh, – you don't get to take a knee. There's no timeouts. There's no halftime. And, and there's no, oh, I'm not a participant. You know, it doesn't work that way. It'll find you, even if in the, the, the – form of something dropped on your head when chad and i were at shank we were the first unit there and daryl i'm gonna send this right back to you you'll see hi daryl went back there as a command sergeant's major and i'll tell him what happened when you were at shank uh fob shank is uh it's called rocket city it's nicknamed rocket city because we were there for we we're there for our we, they changed it now we were only there for a nine month tour um but in that nine months, we had, I think it was 200 and 219, uh, 220, I think it's 219, something like that. 200, just over 200 rockets shot at us in a nine month period. Um, and uh, unfortunately, um, our uh, our advanced party um, for my uh, battalion <clears throat> that we went over with, that took over there, um, two of our pilots uh, had a, uh, they were living in a tent um, and uh, our tent city for our uh, our LSA life support area for our our battalion um, or task force at the time uh, was actually right in the when they drew a if they drew a uh, uh, an overlay of where all the all the rockets were uh, primarily hitting because all they do is when they set the rocket up they set the rocket up on a certain on a certain angle on a certain number of sandbags at this location they know if I do it from here I got to aim it at that direction, and I got to set it up on this number of sandbags, and then they set the timer and run. It may go off 15 minutes later, it may go off an hour later, <clears throat> but um, that that general heading direction that they aim it is in this what they what they know would be the center of the fob, and um and that center of that fob when you put the overlay of where all the rockets hit, um was the bullseye was our LSA where our tent city's at, um for my battalion, um. And our task force, and uh, and unfortunately, uh, we lost uh, two of our pilots to a direct hit on their on their tent as they were sleeping. Uh, they were uh, flying night shift, flying nights, and uh, they were sleeping during the day. And a rocket came in, and direct hit on their on their tent, and uh, both both we lost two uh, two heroes uh, on that day um, in April of uh, 2013. That's <clears> definitely <throat> terrible, but, you know. That's what I mean. They, you know, they were sleeping, so I hopefully they didn't suffer. That's for sure. But still, definitely, uh, you know, unfortunate and, you know, for that. With, yeah, and that's the thing with the, uh, you know, with with uh, Bob Shank. It's you know they call it Rocket City for a reason. Yeah. Um, 
I was there on Christmas Day in 2015, and we were we were taking mortars that day too. So we yeah. got the hell out of Dodge. We ate our Christmas turkey in the aircraft flying back south. Yeah, we um we we also had a, another uh, um uh, we had quite a few of quite a few injuries uh, from uh, another uh, two rocket attacks. Um, we sent uh, uh, two guys home with shrapnel. Thank God they were still alive. And we sent another uh, another guy home with a uh, with a had his had his arm just about blown off. Uh, oh, wow. He was working at the gym. That's that's how crazy it is. You don't never know uh, when it's going to happen. Here it is, you know, broad daylight. But uh, they'll set that rocket up, and um, this one hit right next to the gym. And um, one of my Joes, um, he uh, got severely injured damn near blew his arm off i was i um for all those guys that had uh had work done to to remove their shrapnel and fix his arm um i was i, I told the docs when we got to the <clears throat> to the hospital up there i, I said listen uh, those are my joes i'm going in there while you're in there in the or with them and um and sure enough they gave me a mask and a hat and said here put this put this on sergeant major and just stand back out of the way so uh, i was in there with them when they were getting there and they were getting their cells fixed up. Um, and then the worst one was, you know, uh, my Joe that I know his name. I'm not going to say his name out loud. Um, but uh, um, he, uh, he fixed his arm. Uh, they only had uh, one, what was it? Uh, one of the bones, it was almost completely, um, completely broken. And uh, there was only a, a, like one muscle holding his arm together. Wow. Yeah. Saw uh, major. Yes, sir. So... Let me ask you this question as directly as I know how, because obviously we're doing this podcast for a reason. Uh, let's talk mental health. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. Uh, you yourself, being a being multi-combat veteran, uh, very well decorated, uh, how many years were you serving? Did you serve? 26 years. Even? Uh, 26 years, five months, and 14 days. Okay, there you go. That's the answer I was looking for. Uh, and, and being a uh, sergeant major, you know, that meant that you went to meetings that I didn't go to and you knew things that I didn't know. So how are you, your peers, uh, and your superiors doing? Have you talked to any of these guys about whatever the effects they're having or their mental health is having since they retired? Because no one goes in the Army and comes out better than they were. I mean, we all went through, I mean, I, I spent 18 plus years straight at Fort Campbell with the exception of a one-year deployment, uh, which ended up in the Philippines. So, so I'm wanting to know from you directly is, you know, if you did a buddy check, how's everybody doing? Pretty damn good, I'll be honest. Um, you know, and I, I will also uh, uh, say that, that part of that is because of, um, you know, um, being aviation and not kicking indoors and shooting people in the face. Um, but Apache uh, pilots, I mean. Well, that's, and that's what I was just fixing to say. But now on the, on the side of the guys that are actually out there <clears throat> and actually shooting because, you know, we were there in Shank and um, – our uh, most lethal Apache uh, gunner was a, uh, a young female W-2. And let me tell you something. She was damn good at what she did. Um, but, uh, I can only imagine, you know, the, the, the things that they're having to do to, to, to deal with. <clears throat> um, but as far as, uh, you know, the, our brothers out there that, that I uh, specifically know we're, we're doing, we're doing pretty good. Um, a lot of us uh, are, uh, I should say a few of us, are, uh, are actually uh, staying in contact every now and then, uh, and they're doing pretty good. But the big thing that that, that everybody's got to uh, to remember about mental health and and uh, OIF and OEF has has completely changed mental the the the, uh, the way we deal with mental health in the army um, for the for the better. Uh, I will say. Um, but the the thing you really that, think it, I mean I, I yeah I guess what you said overall yes they're more in tune to the mental part of it, absolutely yes um, but the uh, the the biggest thing that that people have to remember is and and you know I've I've had my conversations with with the doctors um, but the biggest thing that I think people have got to remember is you have to be willing to talk about it is if you want to keep it bottled up and be the tough guy knock yourself out hero 
you'll be falling out here pretty soon. Um, and that's the way a lot of people deal with it. They just bottle it up. But if you don't, if you're not willing to talk about it, you're going to have more problems. So that's the that's attribute. Uh, go ahead. Sorry. No, you go ahead, Chad. Do, do you attribute your your findings because you you do sit down and take time and make those calls and and, and maintain those relationships and connections? Yes. <clears throat> and if you if you're not willing to make those calls, then Bo, you, it's you know, Al and I have talked, you know, and and it's it's one of those things that you got to be willing to just open up and 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 say what you're feeling. And that's what we're, we're not a, a touchy feely uh, society in the, in the army. That's the thing about it. And people don't realize you, you've got to learn to get in touch with yourself and then be able to tell someone exactly how it's making you feel um, to get your head clear. Um, I retired in a, in June of 2014. Well, I retired in, uh, in October of 2014, but I actually signed out on terminal leave on my birthday at noon in June of 24 of uh, 2014. And, um, and I told myself, uh, then before I retired, I, you know, hearing all the horror stories about people, uh, the average lifespan of a retired, uh, of a retired army guy, a retired soldier is, uh, is five years. Remember that guys? Cricket yeah, says. I've heard it. Yeah. So then, you know, that, that was the thing back in the day. It's like, Oh yeah. The, you know, the average lifespan is five years after you retire. And I, you know, hearing all that, um, you know, I told myself that as hardcore as I felt, as I thought I was, um, you know, I, I said, I'm going to actually put the army behind me. It'll be in my heart, but I'm going to, I'm going to put the army behind me in my mind and actually realize I'm no longer in the army and I'm going to change the way I live because I knew if I didn't, I would be that guy that would have to, that would have all of the stress about why has my life changed um, so drastically and I can't handle it. And I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. And I honestly, I did think you were going to be that guy. I th- <laughs> well, I'm not, I, was, I mean, I'm not, no disrespect. But you were a lifer. You were never married. You had no kids. You were married <laughs> to the army and her children were your children. And that was just the exactly. way it was. So uh, I do commend you for the fact that you have actually, went to live a very normal life uh, post-retirement. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that, you know, your kind of normal life now post-retirement. I mean, that's that's definitely uh, something I'm sure a lot of people would love to hear, how you did acclimate to, you know, life as well, a civilian. Yeah, and I tell you, it's um, it, it started as soon as I retired because my dad, uh, I was a baby to family. Um, you know, my, uh, my daddy uh, passed away when he was uh, 91 and two days old. Uh, I, I, I left... Uh, Signed out in, um, in June, and uh, I, I took a couple of weeks. My dad had, had broke his hip uh, a few months before that and was on recovery, um, hoping he, could, he was going to be able to recover. And um, I went home, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go home and take care of my dad. I already had an a, a, a interview lined up in Huntsville um, to, uh, to take on a job over there. Uh, and I was like, yep, that's where I'm going. I was going to settle in Huntsville and just get me a job and be a contractor and be done with it. Uh, I was getting ready to say you was at the Pepsi plant. <laughs> like you were talking about, like when you, you were like, oh, I'll just spend five years at get out and go to the port for Pepsi. Like, yeah, 20 years later, you go work for Pepsi. <laughs> That's the best job. And I'll tell you the truth, too. That was the best job I ever had because I saw somebody different every day. But um, when I retired, though, you know, I was like, Daddy needs me. I'm going to go home. I can do it. I sat at home with Daddy and took care of him uh, 24-7. I had a brother that lived down the street. My sister lived around the street and down the corner. And, um, and they come over and give me breaks uh, because they were taking care of him for a few months before I got there, before I retired. So uh, I said, you know, I'll, I'll come home and help out. And I, I went right back in the house. I, I left when I um, went in the Army and living in a, sleeping in the same bedroom and took care wow. of Daddy for seven great months. I did. I got seven awesome months with my Daddy um, and got to learn a lot about him, That you know, things that I didn't know. Um, and then, you know, I get to, I get to see the – I saw the – uh, the um, the change of life, and what I mean by that is, um, it's 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 different when you watch someone else um, realize their own mortality. Um, you know, you, you can see that that they realize that uh, you know I'm not going to be here for much longer, um, and you can see the change. But it was great to be able to spend that time with him for seven good months, and then after that, I uh, 
uh, I, I started kind of, it was like, I'm retired. Daddy's passed. It's just me here at the house. I'm going to go and, and actually be retired. So I did, I did some traveling down here in South Florida, visited with some old friends from college that I've still stayed in contact, contact with the entire time and um, came down here to go to Key West with them and uh, ran into this uh, beautiful young lady that I met, I met in Korea way back when. Wow, uh, that's a small world right there. <laughs> Uh, we had, you know, every now and then a couple, every year or so, you know, we just kind of like, Hey, how you doing? And that was it. Um, but, uh, ran into her and, and she said, Hey, uh, let's get drinks. And I was in Tampa visiting with my friends and, uh, she said, let's get drinks. And I said, yeah, sure. Next time I'm up in DC, I'll, uh, I'll link up with you and your husband and, and we'll go get drinks because she was married. And, um, and she said, well, uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm in Tampa and I'm not married. Well then by gosh. Uh, I'll be, I'll see you in a few minutes. So I, I, we met up that night and, um, uh, had drinks and caught up and, and bam, from then on, it's been, uh, that was, uh, what was that? April. She's going to kill me if she ever hears this. I think that was April of, uh, 2015. Oh, yeah. yeah she doesn't listen. It seems like a lot of time the things we talk about on here, hopefully the people <laughs> they don't listen to it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, she'll, she, she's going to listen. I guarantee you that. <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I went back home and we had a long distance relationship while I was in Panama city. I was renovating the house I grew up with, I grew up in and, uh, and then, uh, she convinced me to move down here. I moved here in uh, 2017 and, uh, and I've been in Tampa ever since. Um, at first I just sat at home doing my woodworking. I'd gotten into woodworking and was building things, repairing things at her house and, and, uh, just having a good time doing, being retired. I get to do whatever I want to do. Um, you know, like like Al said, you know, I, I never did get married. <clears throat> um, I never uh, never had any kids. Um, so for me, you know, every time I eat, I feed my whole family. And um, coming down here and moving in with her, she had two kids, you know, a teenager and a, and a, a, a um, eight year old at the time. And um, so that was a that was a brand new experience for me, man. Walking straight into a house and and going you step from one day you're single, next day you got a family. Um, so that was a huge, huge change for me, but I, you know, they made it easy because the kids are great. Um, and, and, you know, as, as she likes clean house and I, I don't mind, I don't mind keeping a clean house too. So, uh, that makes it really easy for us. But, um, you know, I, I, I did that for a few months, uh, where I was, uh, just working at a house being retired and I finally said, okay, I'm, I've got to do something now I'm bored. I've, I've got to get, keep myself busy. And I started, a, a candy vet home repair and um made my website i mean i jumped in over my head right off the bat and built a website and everything and then um i did that for six months and i started that in uh june of 2018 and um and let me tell you for six months she she uh amy got up there on a uh, next door and uh and she looked on, on there one day and she said daryl uh you know, there's people on next door asking for a handyman. And from the next day, I got my first job. <clears throat> and I think that was January 3rd of 20, 2018. From then until June, I was, I could have worked seven days a week and never had a day off. There was that much cotton picking work to be done. And I was loving it. I didn't have, I don't have a problem with work. Um, it Work is easy. It's, you work as hard as you want to. Um, and I don't mind doing the hard work. But uh, I did that for six months, and I realized, wait a minute, this is a lot busier than I want to be as a retired guy. Come on now. <laughs> um, so I, I had uh, had looked into doing a home inspection, you know, years before when I was at home when I first retired, and I ran into somebody and I, I misunderstood what they said. Um, but lo and behold, uh, I, I got a, a message on my computer one day that said, um, uh, you know, in the you know how the everybody's tracking you on Facebook. And it, one of them ads popped up. It says, you know, get your home inspector's license. And I, I called them up and I said, hey, let me ask you this. And then, you know, what what all do I have to do? They said, all you got to do is 120-hour class online and uh, you meet the requirements for the state of Florida. So I took the class and I started the class in uh, June of 2018. Uh, passed my test in uh, August of uh, uh, that following August of 18 and got my license as a home inspector. And I changed the business name and the website from Handy Vet Home Repair to Handy Vet Inspections. 
And I've been going solid since uh, 2018, being a home inspector. Um, and and I'll tell you, the, the biggest thing that, that I tell the guys on social media that are out there asking the basic questions, um, you know, the biggest thing I was in the Army, you know, Chad and I'll tell, I'll tell you, uh, you know, you don't ever believe what someone tells you. Go look it up and verify it for yourself. Because um, when you're working on aircraft, we've got a, uh, we've got the TMs that we have to follow. And you never, the, the rule is you don't ever memorize a TM. You've done it 50 times, but you still got to have the book open when you're doing a job. Right, guys? Absolutely. Yes, sir. So I'm a, I'm a, I'm huge on research. So for me, home inspections was easy. And I tell my clients if they ask me, so what's your background? I said, well, you know, I'm a, I worked on aircraft for 26 years and, um, uh, believe me, uh, learning anything about a home is not going to be anywhere as near as complicated as, um, as working on aircraft. Um, none of mine ever fell out of the sky. Let's put it that way. That's what I tell them. And, um, and I have been, uh, I've been very successful as a home inspector here in the Tampa area. Uh, and I love it. I really do. I enjoy getting out there. I don't mind the hard work. Um, being from Florida, I don't mind the heat. And, um, I was in an attic here a few months back this past summer and, uh, I shot the, my, my <clears throat> uh, laser thermometer i shot it up at the roof deck in the attic and the deck underside of the roof was 142 degrees and the ambient temperature was 118 in the attic and i had to go in there for about 30 minutes to get all my inspection done so uh it, I, I don't mind it it's just hard work but uh it's something that's got to be done and i do enjoy it but in a home inspector now in this area in this market these days it's it's crazy how much things are changing and if you're not if you don't if you're not willing to stay on top of it with the research, you are not going to be successful. Well, that's great that you were able to find some success, you know, and kind of just, you know, finding something you love to do too. Uh, is there anything like you you kind of do? I know issues pertaining to the military now that you're you're like trying to maybe solve. I know I think you're involved with UXO. Can you tell us about that a little bit? No, Daryl's not involved. Oh, he's not. He's in, not. Are you involved with any kind of charities or anything like that to kind of help out veterans or anything that maybe I, kind of comes to mind that you'd like to talk about? Well, no, honestly, no. I'm a, I'm a kind of a, a lone lone uh, a lone wolf out there. Um, you know, I, I don't have a problem helping anybody whatsoever. Uh, everybody um, has their own issues, the way that they deal with it, um, and there's a lot of different resources out there. If, if someone calls me, uh, man, believe me, I'm going to be there if they need it. Um, Al's, uh, Al called me a few years back for, uh, for, some, um, for a job venture, said he needed some help with something out there in the, in the, uh, the hillsides of Kentucky. And um, I was there, what, two days later, Al? <clears throat> yes, sir, you sure were. I was there two days later. My four-wheeler in the back of the truck, my dog in the back, in the, back, in the, in the, in the truck with me. <clears throat> uh, but, no, I'm a I'm – I'm um I'm not involved directly with any uh any of the any of the veteran resources out there or um uh, charities or anything like that. Um I don't have anything against them. I'm I'm just a one man band. <clears throat> All right, we definitely understand that. I mean, it sounds like you still have uh, close ties with a lot of the guys that you served with and stuff like that. So I'm sure that they you know appreciate Absolutely. you talking to them and things like that. Still, I mean, because you know having that, even though you might be one man band, you still like will drop everything to do to help those guys out and. You gotta love to hear that. Well, I think we've been running quite long here in this uh, episode, guys. I, I think that about concludes everything. I mean, unless you have anything else to say, uh, maybe. No, I, I I appreciate the opportunity. You know, um, uh, knowing Al and then Chad as long as I have um, and serving with those guys. Uh, I mean, you you can't ask for a better group of guys to, to call brothers out there. Um, you know, and. and to, to be able to to have the camaraderie after after service uh, that means that means more than anything out there um, to know that you got somebody that you can actually call if you need to uh, and actually they these guys know me um, and and to have somebody that knows you that well and and and, and Al Al knows how to push my buttons um, doesn't he Chad <clears throat> yes sir. He knows what he's doing, but he can get you to talk. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Al knows how to push buttons and get you to talk. Don't and, I know it? <laughs> and and that's the thing too is to, to have somebody out there you can actually call. That's the best thing you can do for yourself is to find that person out there. Um, but you know the the thing for me, um, you know, going back throughout my entire career, you know, like you said, you know, I was married to the army, um, 
you know, had I not gotten myself, had I not gotten my head in the right spot before I retired, I wouldn't be as successful as I am right now. I'd still be worried about, you know, what I could do. Uh, if, you know, you know, I was a, a command sergeant major in the army. Um, you know, I tell everybody, I said, you know, I was it, it only made E9, um, but if they made E10, if they had an E10, I'd made it too. Um, but because I was always pushing myself to, to go, uh, go the, the farthest I could possibly go. Um, I was supposed to retire and when I was a first sergeant and my daddy said, uh, that was at 21 years. And, um, and daddy said, uh, I told daddy on leave. I said, um, I'm going to go ahead and retire here, uh, this next year. And he said, um, you still got farther, you got more you can do. I said, well, yeah, but it's not something I'm looking to do right now. I don't think that's what I want to go for in the army. And, um, he said, I want you to do as much as you can. And I knew what he was doing. And I said, you really want me to daddy? And uh, he said, yep, I want you to go as far as you possibly go. So I decided to stay in the Army. And then, uh, and I, you know, I wound up going another five years after that um, because uh, the choices that I made and the, and the success that I had. But um, uh, my successes were only uh, – I was only as successful as those I surrounded myself with. Um, and that's what people don't realize. You, you, you are only as successful as those that you surround yourself with. Find competent people that give a shit about what they're doing, that truly have a passion for doing things right, and that right there will make you successful as well. So, I will end it with that. <clears throat> Definitely a great way to end it. A little, you know, a little nugget of wisdom to help out people because I, I agree. I think that a lot of people don't realize. You know, they they hang out with their buddies and stuff like that, and their buddies aren't. Not to say that you should be looking for buddies that are just doing something for you, but you know, they should all have kind of the same direction for sure and you know be be supportive of one another and be pushing each other and i think that's uh the friend group you have to have around you that's for sure but we appreciate your time today daryl i mean excellent uh talk to you i mean went very long here i mean hopefully a lot of the the, the podcast episodes we do here from here on out are going to be a lot like this where we just keep on talking and we you know love that chad jumped in here with us to talk with us uh and also you know definitely thanks to big al and you know Appreciate everybody out there tuning in. My name is Brian Britt. Make sure you tune in next time on Fall In.